Glory to Jesus Christ, Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish presents Light of the East, a program revealing how the Eastern Catholic Churches have nourished the Roman Catholic Churches and today's world in profound ways through their history, traditions, mysteries, and spirituality. Hello, I am Father Thomas J. Loya, pastor of Annunciation of the Mother of God Byzantine Catholic Church in Homer Glen, Illinois, and this is the story of the Eastern Churches, an inspiring story of faith courage, intrigue, mystery, spirituality, dissension, and reconciliation. But most of all, this is an expression of a great experience of faith through our unique divine liturgy. Join with me now as we look toward the Light of the East. Light of the East is also supported by the iconography of Father Thomas J. Loya. Father Loya's iconography for your prayer and home devotion may be obtained by going to MorningstarBooksAndGifts.com That's MorningstarBooksAndGifts.com Then click on the Art and Decorative link and click on Icons in the drop-down box or call 630-629-1720 Morningstar Books and Gifts 28 West St. Charles Street, Lombard, Illinois Glory to Jesus Christ. Welcome to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Loyan. Today we're happy to have Katie Goulis with us once again on this second Sunday of Lent in the Byzantine liturgical calendar. And each Sunday has a particular theme or emphasis to it in the Byzantine calendar. We have Sundays before Lent, Sundays during, and Sundays after during the Paschal season, all with specific themes, of course, based on the scripture readings. And But first, before we get to the scripture readings, let's hear from and welcome once again our good friend Katie Goulis, calling in from University of Illinois in Champaign-Urbana, right? That's from, right. Glory to Jesus Christ, Father Tom. Glory to him forever. And of course, you're down there sort of uh, slogging through Lent practically all by yourself, right, Katie? <laughs> yeah, practically, practically. It's, uh, it's a little different being a little Byzantine Catholic among this great sea of Roman Catholics that live around me, because I live in a Catholic dorm, so... It's a great place to live because you still get the whole feel of Lent going on, but, you know, it's a little different for us uh, Eastern Catholics. Well, as the scripture says, the light shines brighter than darkness. Oh, you shine brighter then. <laughs> Your Lenten witness is that much brighter. Yeah, it's kind of tough uh, not being able to share it uh, communally. I know you get up here at times during the Lenten season, but uh, when you're down there, I guess you have to come up with your own modes of embracing Lent as a Byzantine Catholic, and I think you've come up with something. Yeah, I did. Um, I actually kind of came up with this idea last year. Um, last year, right before Holy Week, I decided to keep a blog. And a blog is just basically like an online diary that people can go and they can read the things that you post, kind of the different musings that I had. So before Holy Week, I decided to start this blog so that I could share with a lot of my friends who aren't Eastern Catholic the things that I go through during Lent because so many times people ask me, well, what's it like? What do you do? How is it different than, than us? And, and so I decided to start this blog, and what I would do is every every couple of days or so, I would go on and I would post a picture and then just talk about some of the things that were going on. Like, for instance, on Good Friday, I would talk about all the services that we had. So this year for Lent, I decided that it would be a good idea to start out my blog again, because I had kind of uh, neglected it over the summer and uh, last semester. But I thought it would be a good way for me to not only share my faith with other people, but also for me to kind of like keep myself in check, to make sure that I was doing the things that I had promised myself um, I would do during the Great Fast, 
And one of the things that I'm trying to do, which is I'm finding even, you know, just a couple of days into it is really hard, is I'm trying to follow the strict fast of no meat and dairy products. And so many people look at me like I'm just nuts. Yeah. How can you go without teas and, and milk? And, you know, you find ways. But So the blog is just, you know, my little way of uh, sharing my faith with not only my friends, but with anybody who wants to go look at it, look at it online. And Katie, where can we find your blog? You can find my blog at blogoftheeast.blogspot.com. And blog is spelled just B-L-O-G. So it's blogoftheeast.blogspot.com. I kind of took a play on the light of the East. I hope you don't mind. (laughs) Oh, no, that's very good. Thank you. (laughs) You know, one of the hardest things for people to comprehend is how we can go, at least in the traditional fast, without dairy products. See, the meat is a little difficult for people, but they can kind of do it. And there's a lot of vegetarians today. But when it comes to the dairy products, that one really scares them. And, you know, in a sense, rightfully so, because... In our culture, and if people would take a look at this, actually, next time you go to a restaurant, pick up a menu, any kind of restaurant, from five-star to the McDonald's or whatever, any restaurant that has a menu, and you'll be amazed. Try to find a single item on the menu that does not have a dairy product in it, something that is not covered with some kind of rich sauce or especially cheeses. It's almost impossible. And I've noticed that, I think, that the restaurant business learned a long time ago in America that you could, you could serve rare shoe leather and people will eat it as long as you put cheese on it. <laughs> that seems to be the palate of Americans today, and the restaurant business seems to have picked up on that. And so that's why it's almost unthinkable for us to fast also from dairy products. But as you said, Katie, once you start to do it, and again, we move into it gradually. We've had meat fair, then cheese fair. We move into it in stages. It does become a little bit more manageable. It's not so seemingly impossible, outrageous. And actually, when you start to do it, if you can do it one year and then try it again the next year, pretty soon you get to the point, like someone like, for instance, myself, or maybe you, or people who have been doing it for a long time, for many years, where you actually, it's really not that great a sacrifice to the point where we actually have to look for other things to sacrifice. Because the meat and dairy product becomes something that you are accustomed to, that you embrace, and it's not so hard once you actually embrace it. It's only for 40 days, but it's also very revealing. See, the whole point of fasting and pulling away from these things, there's so many points to it. One of the things is it it really reveals things. It kind of indicts us in a, lot, in a lot of ways. It shows us how attached we are to things. And that's the precise reason for the ascetical disciplines of Lent. Whether in the eastern or western lungs of the church, in particular in our case, the eastern lung, we go kind of all out with it because what we find out is that it reveals how attached we are to things, things that we think we cannot live without. And in a sense, we, we see that we are, in a, in a way, a very, shall I say, addictive society. We're addicted to a lot of things. In other words, just certain things we just can't imagine living without. We're all that way in varying degrees. I'm that way myself. But it's just a matter of degrees. So when you embrace the fast, it also reveals to you, wow, if this is so hard, it must mean And it must indicate to us just how much of the fatty things of life are a part of our daily routine to the point we can't imagine going without them. But that's the the whole point of it, to take these things which are so much a part of our life, which we just automatically take for granted practically, and how we can't imagine living without them and actually choosing to live without them. Because it kind of gives us a great perspective. It kind of, it's like a way of pulling back and getting ourselves back into perspective and say, wait a minute. We don't need all these things that we think we need. We can actually go without them or return to them after the fast in a, 
sort of moderation. So, you know, Katie, a lot of times people look at the fast as something you embrace. It's almost like some kind of, yes, it has an athletic dimension to it, but they kind of act like, well, gee, if I just kind of tough this out, then after Easter comes along, I can eat those things again. Well, we can, but the idea is to eat them with a renewed approach, with approach that is not addicted, approach that is more moderate, approach that is more sacramental. See, the point of fasting and all the rigors of Lent, the increased prayer, the liturgical services, the acts of charity, is to change us as a person so that after Easter, we actually become more a person of the resurrection, more Christ-like, more balanced, more integrated, less addicted, less attached to things. We become, in a sense, free, pure in our heart, pure in our appetites. In other words, our appetites no longer reign their tyranny over us, regardless of what the passions or appetites are. They don't control us anymore. The free person is the one that can choose to eat or not to eat, choose to look at something or not look at something, choose to embrace something or not embrace it. That's the person who is free. But oftentimes we live on this sort of compulsive uh, level in our culture, and we don't even realize it. It becomes like a norm. So that's one of the reasons why the fasting that we adhere to in the Eastern churches, the no meat ordinary product, seems almost impossible, outrageous to people. It's because an indication of where we're at is our culture. It's not like we're personally guilty. It's simply an indication of where we're at. And the areas that we really need to look at and to bring back in perspective or moderation. Are there other things that you're doing besides the fasting? Um, yeah, I'm really trying. I'm an RA, which means I'm, I'm a resident advisor. So I have an entire floor of, of young women that I kind of am, I don't want to say in charge of, but <clears throat> I kind of make sure things run smoothly on the floor. Um, if they have questions, they come to me. We just make sure that, um, I guess, bad things don't happen. And then one of the things that we're also charged with doing is planning floor activities for, for our floor. And so one of the things that I'm doing, actually, I just did it. And then a couple other things I'm doing is I'm trying to do, like, you know, little prayer groups a couple of nights a week with my floor. And then last week for the first Sunday of, of Lent, the Sunday of, you know, like, Holy Images, where we walk around our church back at home with icons, is uh, we actually made our own icons down at school, Hmm. Um, kind of, sort of. When we were younger, back at home for this Sunday, we would take pieces of wood, and we would, you know, put varnish on them and make them look really pretty, and then we would take an icon that we had cut out, so it's kind of like the poor man's icon making. We would take an icon that we cut out, and then we would decoupage it on there, and then that would be like the little icon that we made, and then we would carry it around church. So I decided that I would do that with my floor, not only share my Lenten season with them, but also to share my love of icons with the girls. And they really liked it, and they really enjoyed it. And then afterwards, we had one of the priests who is here at St. John's Catholic Human Center come and bless them for us so that they can have them for the rest of their lives if they want to. That was another thing that I did, and I thought it was I thought it was really neat. Well, no, perhaps our listeners noticed that what you were talking about is not, in this case, not something you've given up, but something you've sort of added on in a good way. There's a word for this. We call it the proxis. There's what's called negative and positive proxis. And this was a term used a lot in the spiritual writings of the Eastern ascetics, the Eastern monks. In other words, there's something we pull back from, the negative, we can we give up or get rid of or modify, do less of. But then 
there is the positive practice. In other words, what we choose to do in addition now. In other words, we pull back to open up so that we can then add on what is actually better. And we're going to talk more about this whole praxis of Lent, the season of the Great Fast, when we return. I'm Father Thomas Loya here with Katie Gullis on Light of the East. Light of the East's mission is Christianity's reunion. And to tell the story of the Eastern Lung of the Catholic Church, we need your support in order to keep Light of the East on the air. You can make a donation now by going to byzantinecatholic.com. That's byzantinecatholic.com. Click on the radio button and then donate securely using any major credit card. With your help, we can keep Light of the East's illumination bright. In the 1950s and 60s, Families gathered around their televisions when this theme came on to herald the start of one of the most watched programs of the era, Life is Worth Living, with Bishop Fulton J. Sheen. Now it's difficult to believe that they were Irish angels and not in a fight, but that is the fact. Truly the first tele-evangelist, Bishop Sheen taught the gospel with wit, grace, and intellect, and an uncanny sense of how to transcend the medium and touch the viewer. To celebrate the life and legacy of Archbishop Sheen through his service in the Roman and Byzantine Catholic churches, see the multimedia exhibit. Archbishop Fulton J. Sheen, a voice crying out on the airwaves, Monday, February 1st through Friday, March 5th, at the Bishop Emil J. Mahalik Byzantine Catholic Cultural Center, 1900 Carlton Road, Parma, Ohio. For complete information, go to parma.org. That's parma.org. God love you. You're listening to Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. You're listening to the choirs of Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish under the direction of Timothy Woods in Homer Glen, Illinois. This is the music you hear on Light of the East and is sung during the sacred liturgy at Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish. All we ask is a donation of $15 or more, which includes shipping and handling, to Annunciation Parish for each Theosis CD. Send a check made out to Annunciation Parish at 14610 Wilcook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. And may God grant you... Welcome back to Light of the East. I'm here with Kenny Gullis, and of course, I'm Father Thomas Loya. And we're talking about the positive and negative praxis of Lent. In other words, things you can pull away from, like, of course, in the Eastern tradition, all the fatty foods, meat and dairy products, all during Lent for 40 days, or other things as well. And at the same time, you could do good things. And a couple of things that you can do are coming up such as, and it's something I'd like to invite all of you to if you're in the Chicago area or maybe you want to make a special trip because it is a special experience. This is called the Great Canon of St. Andrew of Crete. This is a deep immersion into the bright sadness of Lent, really a deep immersion into the soul of the Eastern approach to repentance of the Lenten season. This service is done, as we've mentioned before on Light of the East, it's done in segments stretched throughout the first week of Lent. However, in the fifth week of Lent, the service is done in its entirety. 
It actually comes from the morning prayers, the matin service, which is why it's called a canon. But we usually shift it for pastoral reasons to make it more available to the evening, the evening of Thursday. And this year, it'll be March 18th at 7 o'clock at Annunciation Church. And this is a uniquely engaging and moving service. It uses biblical passages that are chanted in hauntingly beautiful melodies as we immerse ourselves, body and soul, into the bright sadness of repentance. And we do so, especially not only through the chant, but through gesture, a gesture of a full body prostration. And what we do is we actually walk through the scriptures. It's an amazing clinic on the scriptures, especially the Old Testament, all the different passages that have to do with sin and repentance, names you're probably not even familiar with normally. They pull these out of the Bible. They just, just wade right through that whole, the whole Bible. And after each verse, they're usually brief verses that are chanted to a beautiful melody. We do a full body prostration. Now, the service starts at 7 o'clock, and like everything else in the Eastern churches, the duration of it is, shall I say, timeless, especially this one, because this one will go, oh, who knows how long, uh, probably four hours or so. But that's okay. Don't get scared. Please, please consider coming. You can just sort of jump into it anytime you want, kind of like one of these dance marathons. You can kind of move in and out of it as you want to, whatever, however much you want to experience. But as you experience it, and we sing these verses, we do a full body prostration after each one, which means that you probably end up doing perhaps a few hundred by the end of the night. Also, there'll be confessions available, so you can just avail yourself of that while the service is going on. There's sort of this kind of like sense of unceasing prayer that's going to be going on as we immerse ourselves more and more deeply into this journey of the bright sadness, the whole dynamic of repentance in an integrated way with our whole body and soul. So consider being a part of it in whatever way you can. Again, it's March 18th at Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Church. You can learn more about it by going to byzantinecatholic.com, and it starts at 7 o'clock. I hope to see you there. It's a unique experience, especially if you want to study and really learn about the soul of the Eastern churches. might be of particular interest to those of you who are in religious education, who are in seminary, who are in any way interested in studying the church, especially the Eastern church. Bring your group, bring your youth group. Again, don't be intimidated by the timelessness of it. Just experience whatever part you would like. But I guarantee you to be a unique and moving experience. And there's one more thing in our area that you can do. You can attend a concert on March 21st at 4.30. It's going to be at the Notre Dame de Chicago Parish. And it's going to be the world premiere of a local composer named Kevin Allen. A world premiere of his work, Transfiguration, the three-movement work for string orchestra, oboes, and horns. And also, there's going to be other items on the program. And if you want to find out, you can call 815-806-0066. And this is directed by Timothy Wood, so I can guarantee you it's going to be a very spiritually uplifting concert. A lot of beautiful music. Timothy Woods uh, formerly was the choir director and one of the cantors at My Parish Annunciation. He now is the choir director and cantor at St. Mary Byzantine Catholic Church in Whiting, Indiana. So Timothy will be directing this, and that's why I know it's going to be an uplifting experience for you. Again, that's March 21st at 4.30 p.m., Notre Dame of Chicago Parish in Chicago. Call 815-806-0066. You know, Katie, and during the Lenten season and also during the Paschal season, it is customary for bishops to send out a pastoral letter. It's like a kind of a instruction and a meditation on Lent that the bishop sends out to his flock. It's usually printed in the parochial or diocesan newspapers, and he does one for uh, usually for Christmas and also for Easter as well. And I want to read a few excerpts from the pastoral letter of an Orthodox bishop. This is from his Beatitude Metropolitan Jonah, who is the 
ranking prelate for the Orthodox Church of America, another is sometimes abbreviated OCA. He identifies himself as Jonah, Archbishop of Washington, Metropolitan of all America and Canada. And his Lenten pastoral letter was given to me by a listener, and I thought that a couple of parts of it were very interesting, very illustrative of Lent. And this is what he writes. Lent is a time for repentance, but that repentance does not simply mean feeling sorry for our sins, much less trying to do some kind of penitential acts to atone for them. Rather, the goal of repentance is the transformation of our minds and hearts, our very consciousness. It means a transformation of our whole life. To engage, it means that we have to embrace change. This change only affects our diet for a few weeks or abstaining from some bad habits. It means a different way of behaving, of perceiving God, ourselves, our neighbors. It means a rejection, a renunciation of the ways we have been living and treating others and the adoption of a new way of life. We have to come to the recognition that how we have been living and behaving does not lead us deeper into communion with God and our neighbors, but rather alienates us from both and from our very self. So how do we repent, the Archbishop writes. The first thing we must do is withdraw from the stimulus to stop exposing ourselves temporarily to the issues and people that bring up these angry thoughts and judgments. We have to stop ourselves from rehearsing the wrongs done to us and hence our judgment and condemnation of the person who wronged us and realize this is just our own self-justification rooted in pride and vainglory. Then we need to pray that God will forgive us for our anger and pride and forgive the other for what he or she has done. Then we can let it go. So long as we are provoked by thoughts of the remembrance of wrongs, resentments, and react with anger, we have not worked it through. But when the remembrance of something no longer disturbs our peace, we know that God has worked in our hearts. Great Lent can be a clinic, a hospital for our souls that are sick with the passions. It is only this transformation that will open our spiritual eyes, and in our hearts, with all our being, we'll be able to shout with joy, Christ has risen from the dead, trampling down death, and upon those in the tombs bestowing life. I think some very poignant words, don't you think, Katie, from Metropolitan Jonah of the Orthodox Church of America? Yeah, definitely. You know, my ears really perked up there at the end when you said, Christ is risen from the dead by death, he, you know, conquered death, because I don't know about you, but even though we're only a couple weeks in, I already can't wait to hear those words in a yeah. few weeks. Yes, it was interesting how, and very ingenious how, in the Eastern churches, we always do, where the masters of paradox of integration, of combining opposite things in one sort of experience. During the profoundly moving ceremony of the Forgiveness Vespers, which begins the Lenten season in the Eastern Church, while the people are coming up at the climactic moment at the end where we come and actually embrace each other and ask each other's forgiveness, the cantors are singing in the back quietly the Paschal hymns, in other words, the very things that we'll be singing during Easter Sunday, during Easter season, you know, the jubilant things that we'll be singing about. And he sings them quietly. It's like a distant, faint echo that kind of gives us the reason for our forgiveness and our repentance. It's almost like as if the church, you know, brings us through these deep rigors and lets us look at ourselves, our sinfulness, like the, the Archbishop's letter here, when we actually are supposed to be, in a sense, moved to tears by our sense of our sinfulness. That's how directly and clearly we look at it. And yet, the church knows we can't be too hard on ourselves. So, it gives us a hope for that, because it doesn't want us to despair as we plunge into the darkness of our sinfulness and our passions. It doesn't want us to stay there, to get sort of trapped there into despair, but rather to see that mastering this, sort of naming the demon, naming the disease, as it were, is the beginning of the road to arriving at, as you said, Katie, the great moment of 
resurrection, of Christ's resurrection, of our own resurrection, our own transformation. So in order to encourage us, we get this distant, faint echo of the jubilant, joyful chance of the resurrection. It gives us the, the, the goal, as it were, of all this rigors, all the rigors of fasting, from giving up meat to adding on good works of charity to, oh my goodness, giving up dairy products, <laughs> and all of the extra prayer and long services that we attend, and all the prostrations. And you know, there's many things too, Katie, I imagine you're doing as well, in addition to the meat and dairy, there's little things too you just take stock of. You look at, like the Archbishop was saying in his letter, you look at different attitudes, you know, little things you can change. You abstain from things that are of the spiritual nature, the psychological nature, as it were, not only from meat and dairy products. So that in the end, we become this, truly this person of the resurrection. So I hope for those listening, your Lent is going well. Embrace it. Join us. Join us in the rigors of Lent and this immersion to the bright sadness in the Eastern churches so that we can all rejoice together, as you said, Katie, with those marvelous words, Christ is risen from the dead. Thank you for listening. Thank you for being with us again, Katie. And God willing, we'll see you again next week. I'm Father Thomas Lawyer with Katie Gullis here on Light of the East. Thank you for listening. Next week, we will return to the light of the East. To find out more about Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish, visit our website, byzantinecatholic.com, where you will also find an archive of all of our programs. In order to continue this program with its mission of Christianity's reunion, we need your support with a donation. Any amount would be a blessing. Please make out a check to Light of the East Radio and send it to Light of the East 14610 Will Cook Road. Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. That's Light of the East, 14610, Will Cook Road, spelled W-I-L-L-C-O-O-K, Road, Homer Glen, Illinois. From the Light of the East, a new dawn of unity is in sight. God bless you, go with God, and may God bless you and grant you many happy years. Oh.